Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiative podcast. I'm the Initiative's Chief Economist, Dr. Eric Crampton. With me today, we have the great fortune of having Len Cook. Len needs little introduction for those who follow statistics, but for those who don't, he is the former government statistician here in New Zealand and had similar roles over in the UK. He's broadly experienced in this, knows what he's talking about. And Len has been increasingly concerned about some changes that are coming into the legislation governing our statistics agency. So the Stats Act has not been sort of refreshed in decades. There's been some view that the thing needs to be overhauled and to be modernized. I've seen a few problems in how Stats has been working with admin data, and some of that they point back to the Stats Act. There are a few troubling bits in the legislation that's coming up probably next week in front of Parliament for final, well, assent, I guess. They'll be doing the third reading of it and then potentially a vote. There might be some changes that they should be making uh, before that. But Len will tell us more about that. So, Len, what's the big picture here? What is actually wrong in the Stats Act that needed to be updated? Where are they coming from in all this? I think, firstly, the things that needed to be improved were access to data for research, which is normally anonymised, but still able to be available on a much wider scale than we've traditionally done in New Zealand. Uh, When I was in the UK, for example, last year, we had 10,000 authorised accesses to microdata. Oh, wow. And and we don't proportionately do that on on the the scale in New Zealand that we could. There are other issues. There's some elements of the relationship with Māori and how stats responds to the initiatives that are going on more generally. They are the sort of key things that are important. So consequently, there is a, a richer place for administrative data than, is, than has happened traditionally. Although I might say, before the 1970s, nearly all of official statistics were produced by administrative data. We had a very weak survey program before the 1970s. And I, th- I think it's often forgotten that we, we do statistical surveys not because we can, we're, we're being lazy and we're not getting at administrative data. Administrative data tells us what the government knows about you. We often want to know a lot that the government doesn't know, which is why nearly all the major statistical surveys in New Zealand in the last 40 years have come about proposed by an opposition, a royal commission or some other body rather than government itself. Perhaps could I just state, yeah. that one of the real things that concern me about the legislation is it's being put through without being very clear about what it's about. I mean, the minister says we need new legislation because this one doesn't mention the word data and that it came in before personal computers were invented. These are frivolous reasons. They're absolutely frivolous reasons for a minister to explain why an important constitutional change is being proposed, which is that the individual authority and power of a government statistician can be shared with an unknown, unidentified other people. You're going to have to back this up for me. So as I've understood it, like at least previously, we've had a fairly independent stats mm. agency that's been kind of important. You don't want people worrying that if they're giving information up to Stats New Zealand, it will be given in an identifiable mm. way to, say, IRD to get them in trouble or Justice to get them in trouble or MSD to get them in trouble. You don't want people w- lying to Stats New Zealand based on those kinds of worries. And you also don't want to have the government coming in and telling Stats New Zealand to rejuke, redo how it collects the stats to put things in a shinier kind of light. What are you talking about when you say that other agencies are going to be having power over this? The government statistician could provide full delegation of all his authority, including the ability to prosecute, to another government department and all of its, his authority except 
that of the authority to prosecute to unidentified others. Now, no other country in the world that I know of has decided to share its chief statistician's role with other people. If you think about it, there's a really important duty of care the government statistician has. If the government statistician tells a minister or a public official their statistics are wrong, we believe we should accept that because of that extra duty of care the government statistician has. We all also have a, a really important obligation in terms of impartiality. It's difficult to see how someone with another job can be impartial if they're collecting and interpreting information in that area. There's an obligation to transparency, and, and all you have to do is listen to the Ombudsman's concerns about transparency and discovery of Official Information Act inquiries to realise that the government statistician now, who publishes all his methods, even when, you know, like there's a serious disaster with the 2018 census, an independent panel was put together, I was a member of it, and we published information about what actually went wrong with the thing. Now, other government departments don't do that on the scale of stats. There's also obligations of confidentiality, um, which stats, if anything, you could say that stats overprotects. And yes. maybe we want us to be careful about that if we want to change that mindset. So I'm still trying to work my head around why the government statistician would want to delegate authority in some cases. But if there's a push as part of this legislation to rely more heavily on admin data rather than survey data, and I'm really not sure why they want to be doing that, but suppose that we take that for granted, other ministries are responsible for collecting that information and then providing it up to stats. So I guess they would always have some responsibility over the data that they themselves are collecting. I would have thought, though, that if you wanted a shift to admin data, you would want those guys coming under the chief statistician. I their authority should be given up to the chief statistician rather than the chief statistician's authority going down to those ministries. Am I nuts? I think you are uh, on the on the money of what's wrong, and I think the solution is not. I think in a way we're trying to do in a very cheap way what other countries like Australia and Britain have done of basic data sharing and ethics legislation that cuts across whole government. So, for example, on 1st of April this year, the Australian government introduced a Data Transparency and Sharing Act, which is very explicit about how the different domains of government, those involved in surveillance and enforcement, for example, versus those involved in service provision, versus those involved in statistics, how they're recognised as quite distinct blocks of government and how you can't share government information among those different domains without very clear authority. And at the moment, we really are leaving it to a future government statistician to make up rules on the spot for what Parliament should properly be doing, in my view. I'll take a, a bit of a devil's advocate position. So suppose that, that there will always be weird cases that come up that will just require the chief statistician to make some judgment calls, and referring those back to Parliament all the time could be pretty cumbersome. So right now, as I understand it, there are sort of memorandums of understanding between each of the ministries and Stats New Zealand about data sharing for the IDI, for example, the conditions under which data moves from the one place to the other, how it gets held, and all of that is governed by those contracts effectively between the government statistician and the ministries. That seems like the kind of delegated authority that a government statistician should have and not have to go back to Parliament on each one of those, or is this something different? Why should the government statistician be concerned with data sharing that's primarily for the purpose of enforcement or primarily for the purpose of service delivery? And I think one of the difficulties is the, to give 
other agencies, the powers of the government statistician, it's not quite clear whether they're done for those other purposes or for the actual publication of official statistics. And can I take, give you a sure. good, good example? In 1996, during the middle of the census, a police officer um, said that he was actually a census officer in order to get information from a household about how many people were there in a place where a crime was believed to be committed. I passed that information on to the Police Complaints Authority because it wasn't my job to prosecute the police. Um, although I suppose I could have. Uh, it was then ruled by the IPCA that it wasn't a particularly serious issue. <laughs> now, for me, what? as government statistician, it was a serious issue. But for a policeman who was looking for an offender, what's the Statistics Act, you know, yeah. compared to their obligation in, in, in preventing crime? And I think why we wall off a statistical office is the views and concerns of privacy and confidentiality are different from the waiting for privacy and confidentiality that other agencies do in their work. So under your preferred version of the Act or ways of changing it, the it, Parliament wouldn't just be setting a framework allowing for data sharing between the different agencies and ministries and Stats New Zealand. They would have to be involved each time there's a new data sharing agreement that comes in? Oh, no, not at all. With, okay. with effective data sharing legislation across government, statistics will be one of the groups that's recognised and you don't have to make it up on the spot because you've established the rules Good. for data sharing around government in total. That's what we're trying to do on the cheap at the moment. So what is sort of the nightmare, what keeps you up at night when you're thinking about the changes that are coming in? What do you see five years from now as a consequence of the legislation now being put up if they don't modify it? Well, can, can I say, the, the minister wrote to me and said, we, we trust the government statistician. The select committee said, we can trust the government statistician. Well, my concern is I'll always trust the government statistician. I don't trust the politicians. And I don't always believe that chief executives of big ministries that are very close to ministers for policy or operational reasons are necessarily always going to be trusted in that way as well. Can I say, when I was yeah. in Britain, I was bullied more by permanent secretaries than ministers doing the bidding of their minister. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that these things are really, it's very easy to get subtle pressure. You know, for example, in Britain, where we had Gordon Brown's golden rules, then the issue of what do we do about the decommissioning of British nuclear power plants? Who keeps the residual liability if they have not yet been decommissioned, but government has given the job to a private sector organisation, a bit like Camelco's Waste. Mm -hmm. is, there a, is there still a residual, and we argued as statisticians, there was still a residual liability. The Channel Tunnel still retains for Britain a residual liability. Mm -hmm. um, I remember on one occasion the, the government wanted to give with Bill Gates heaps of megabucks for vaccines around the world. Now, he wanted to do it and we'll guarantee to pay you every year a certain amount. We actually said, actually, no, you've accumulated a liability. The lib obligation for future payments is on your debt. Now, yeah. all of these issues in New Zealand, because we don't have Gordon Brown's golden rule or European Union requirements to meet, then, in fact, these things are, are not that important to us. But on other frontiers, they will be important and they can be. The poverty measures, for example, have got huge potential for tensions down the line with governments. If a government's going to fail based on a New Zealand local measure, then of course there's going to be challenges all the time. And they're quite hard to deal with when you get them. 
I had a scrap in the 90s with Don Brash over inflation measurement and what was in the CPI. And I could actually have that disagreement rather than be bullied by the Minister of Finance. <laughs> okay, so what? from where we are, I guess they're going up to third reading next week, likely next week. What changes would you want to see in it since it's kind of late in the game now? And it's a, bit, a little disappointing. Like there's all kinds of policy changes going on. It is difficult to stay on top of everything. I'm a generalist. I try to stay on top of it as much of it as I can. I knew that some of these changes were coming. It got just put into a, this is too complicated and hard for me to be thinking about right now because there's dozens of other things going on. This is your big thing. What would you want to see changed at this point? I just removed Clause 17. That is the one that provides the delegation authority. Very simple. That sounds pretty simple. Yep. And would the rest of the legislation hold together without that? Yes. But also, don't forget, I would have some different views. But from the past, you can't actually offer advice on the job that someone else is doing. I think this issue is so important that I have actually, after 22 years, poked my head above the parapet and said, you, you just can't do this. We're, international practice would regard us as a pariah. We, when we are, as we're going into a situation of quite serious problems with international financial markets for borrowing, do we want Standard & Poor's, the IMF, to be curious about who's producing the, the key statistics which are vital for confidence in New Zealand? Is that a problem that's come up elsewhere where they've sort of had, had issues with independence? Not with independence, but you know, in the, in the early 90s, when we had huge problems with the balance of payments, we actually lost, would you believe, the administrative records around overseas exchange transactions, which is a good example of where administrative records are frail. They, they went overnight with the Roger Douglas's um, deregulation of foreign exchange. We therefore had no basis for producing balance of payments in New Zealand for several years. We had to set up a massive survey programme in the first instance, we were doing things on, say, debits one side, credits the other side. On one occasion, when the balance payments deficit overall was about $3 billion or net, we added a billion to it, and then two months later, we took a billion off. Well, Ruth Richardson took me up to her office, gave me a, a, a real lecture, because she was off to Standard & Poor's and Moody's in New York the next week. And she said, how do I explain to Standard & Poor's <laughs> that you can have trust in our statistics when you are actually making them go up and down like a yo-yo? Right. Now, you only need one incident like that in your career to actually be very wary of, of how fragile trust in statistics actually can be. There seem to have been more revisions to the GDP stats and things like that recently, it, possibly just with COVID disruptions and everything having been a little bit harder to forecast. Is this increasingly material or is that just sort of normal state of play because of the underlying uncertainties? I think there's the, t t I wouldn't want to be producing GDP in the last couple of years with the, all the impact on source data and that. I think that it's, it, one would expect to be a, a, a greater degree of volatility around that period. I, but honestly, I have, I've only been following the, the revisions, not, the, not what was yep. behind it. But to me, I think stats have been reasonably upfront that it has been hard to do. But yeah, I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd want to be explaining it. So we're at a late date and it's just pulling this one clause out to try and make it less bad. What opportunities have we missed more broadly though? Because you were looking at some of the changes in the UK and changes in Australia that you just mentioned. Are we going to be unlocking some of the opportunities for better research access with the new legislation, or is that still going to be a mess? 
I think research access should be much more unlocked with any of the changes that are being made. They don't need that transfer. In some ways, you know, like tax data, we had much, have much richer access to tax data than we had in the United Kingdom when I was there. I think it's changed since because tax was not a really well-organised tax department in the UK compared to New Zealand. In other areas, we, you know, we're, it just depended on the technology capability of the department. Yeah. So it's been sort of a long-standing issue of mine that, well, I... I moved to New Zealand in 2003. I'm a microeconomist, minorly competent in applied micro. I can take data and do things with it. Uh, I'm not going to be generating new econometric estimators, but I'm happy to analyze data and have fun with it. It just seemed impossible to work with New Zealand data, that access to micro data was fiendishly complicated. At least for the period I was at Canterbury, there was no data lab at the library. And if you're on faculty and you're teaching a bit in the morning, teaching a bit in the afternoon, schlepping from the island campus into town to get access to the data lab, you just weren't going to do it. And the provisions for access were just impossible. Stats New Zealand was producing these confidentialized unit record files, but they wouldn't let anybody use them in any reasonable fashion. You had to promise that you'd keep it on a desktop computer rather than a laptop, that you'd never put the data on a thumb drive, that you'd never ask a question of that data that's been already confidentialized, that you hadn't warned Stats New Zealand ahead of time that you were going to do, and that you'd destroy the data the second that you were done with that research project and never do anything else with it. Just seemed kind of nonsense that we were spending all this money producing these confidentialized unit record files and then not trusting the confidentialization. So we've got very few applied econometricians in New Zealand. There's a world of applied econometricians that are looking for fertile data to be mining, but we make it kind of impossible to access that data. Uh, am I nuts? Look, it's in the genes of New Zealand statisticians to weight confidentiality. Sometimes we don't look hard enough because of our traditions of protecting data. Like I was part, in the 90s, I was a very strong guardian and we slowly lifted the game. We, we, we did something like we integrated death records with the census. We consulted with the privacy commissioner. We, we took a lot of steps. In Britain, uh, what I learned was, in fact, we could do a heck of a lot more than we do in New Zealand. And, and I, I think people like Jeff Baskan started to make quite a significant shift the other thing I found, I had the opportunity, I was a visiting professor at UCL for uh, several years, and the one thing I learned there when I got to deal with their staff that worked on the surveys was actually, in a statistical office, you tend to think that you're quite special in your view of confidentiality protection. In fact, what uh, late in my life, I realised that most people that work with surveys in universities and that have exactly the same ethic to predict confidentiality. And I think we're, maybe in New Zealand we've still got to do a wee bit more. Certainly I found a very different world and had to change very, very much as a, as a New Zealand-born statistician to working in a, in a British environment. Much richer, much easier access, much more trustworthy, a sense of trustworthiness of the people that you're giving data to and a very deep recognition by the research community of the importance of that trustworthiness. Again, I think we're not always very good in New Zealand within government at recognising outside government. People have just the same incentives as they do to, to maintain that trustworthiness. One of the issues that I've kind of seen, and this goes back several years now, was this growing disquiet about the way that data has been used. And people, were, a lot of communities were seeing data as something that is being done to them rather than something that is available to them. So government as a whole was harvesting up all this administrative data, all this survey data, and then this privileged few would have access to it and be able to manipulate it, do stuff with it, and then policy changes would come in affecting them that they couldn't really have been a meaningful part of. 
one of the problems that I've had in the overall approach is if you look at American uh, setups, you've got facilities like IPUMS where regular citizens can go in just on a website and interrogate the data in a confidentialized manner to just explore the relationships for themselves, run cross tabs on things that the stats agency never expected somebody might want to run a cross tab on, or even run basic statistical regressions within a web browser. And you've been able to do this for over a decade. I wonder to what extent some of that was driving some of the indigenous data sovereignty movement here, reflecting those kinds of concerns, that data is something that's done to them rather than with them. What's going on with that in the new act? So there's more provisions around Maori data sovereignty. I don't know what they're going to be doing with offshoring versus onshoring and cloud access to data. I know that some of those problems are what have blocked stats from effectively being able to put in one of those web interfaces because we can't rely on IPUMS as a, as a host for any of this. What's going on with all, any of this in the new act? I'm not sure that what's proposed in the new act with respect to Maori actually does very much other than the sort of um, ritualistic statements and other acts. I think, to me, what we're seeing in Maori is actually a real weakness in the analysis with which Maori populations are dealt with. I mean, a lot of yep. work I do in justice, and, and I'm doing some work with retirement, takes Maori as a distinct population. And you have to, it's got a very distinct demographic dynamic. If you don't take that into account, you really see quite different patterns. You know, if Maori generally, once you adjust for a shorter working life because of death mm -hmm. rate of Maori between 50 and 65 is much higher, then a Maori who gets to 65 out of 100,000 Maori, then, then the average year, um, years post um, 65 are 12. For non-Maori, they're about 18. Uh, now, that should we, if we think we're seeing that as important, yep. then either we're saying that, that do we change something to do with the retirement age, or do we think we need to invest a lot more in health? Well, the, the way that I was coming at it was I've heard a lot of concerns from researchers, both in other think tanks and in the universities, that getting access to data that has implications for Māori requires very extensive additional new consultative processes that for many of them are just not worth the hassle and they'd sooner deal with American data. So we start by adding these layers of consent on top of things you wind up learning a lot less about exactly the kind of thing you were talking about because it just makes it too hard to deal with for the few researchers we have who are able to do with deal with it. And I wasn't sure what's coming up in the new act that might change that compared to current practice. I can't see from my reading and understanding, and I'm uh, more on the edge rather than fully in or fully out of anything, uh, I, I'm, I, I haven't read anything in the new act that in those areas actually, as I say, more is a sort of a, an assertion of a, an identification of concern rather than a, a way that concern would be managed. Okay, so then it'll be up to the practices that Stats New Zealand develops in response to the changes in the Act rather than the Act itself. Excellent. So we've covered a fair bit of ground. I took the opportunity to pick your brain about some other things that have been bugging me for some time, but the core issue really is revisions of the Stats Act coming back to Parliament next week. One clause absolutely needs to get dealt with around delegated authority where, well, a lot of agencies are picking up powers that used to just be with Stats New Zealand. Any final words? No, I, I think this is a constitutional issue and it should have been dealt with as a constitutional issue. The role of the government statistician is so special 
in society. You know, a lot of our other independent roles exist because of the failure of accountability mechanisms. The government statistician exists because every country's got one, and it's the international thermometer of actually telling you what's actually going on that allows us to trade, to have people give confidence when they come here. Now, I'm not. there's no guarantee this will cause any problems at all, but it's a perception issue at the very least. I hope they listen. Thank you so much, Len. It's been great chatting. 